0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The incentives for homeowners, politicians, tax collectors, and would be homeowners are largely aligned against the kind of growth that could produce real benefits for average people. And land use regulation lies at the center of it all. Ryan Yonk is senior faculty at the American Institute for Economic Research. In June, we talked about the fights that we'd have. And the fights we could avoid if we didn't have central authorities planning how we use our own property. I recently spoke with Nolan Gray, author of uh, the very good new book, Arbitrary Lines. We talked about zoning and uh, the difficult takeaway there is zoning is overwhelmingly local. And almost no one has any incentive to fix some of the enormous problems that it causes
1: yeah I think that's that's absolutely right uh it's uh the one of the core sort of pervasive and never ending questions in local government in particular is why allow planners who are the ones that create the zones to do the sort of things that they do uh so much of our lives are determined by decisions that are made uh in unelected rooms, typically in the county courthouse by folks drawing a map and then deciding what's going to be allowed to go where and it's amazing how many times these problems um Pop up over and over again, only to be um, tied back to how zoning decisions and planning decisions at the local level are made.
0: And uh, people own that property.
1: They do. People own that. At least uh, that's the claim that's made is that they own it.
0: And yet they have no real say. Yeah, they
1: have uh, only a sort of secondary say because they're, while they own it and they can have influence into the process, so there are almost always public hearings about things like zoning and planning. Uh, At the end of the day, uh, my own research, uh, one of my very early projects uh, as an academic was looking at uh, what's the determinant in zoning matters? And it turned out the single overriding zoning uh, de- determinant, who actually made the decision? Uh, title of that paper is who decides? And the answer was, well, who decides? Local planning officials. The, the uh, professional planners almost always whose, whose opinion ends up overriding across the entire process.
0: So the question, why do local governments let planners do what they do, seems like a pretty good research question. And what are the incentives that uh, other participants in local government face?
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a massive research question. One of the the book you uh, referenced earlier is uh, taken on sort of the outcomes of those sorts of things. Uh, But there's been a long history of attempting to understand um, both why do we let them do it uh, and what the incentives of all the players are. Uh, The single biggest reason why we let them do it is because it's the easy solution. Uh, These are folks that walk into a room, claim to have been trained and to have expertise and can do it right, and will create sort of a utopian vision of the future that will let us have a planned community where we all get along and there is kumbaya by the campfire. And it's sort of the, uh, the vision of the town from Pleasantville, the movie, if you've ever seen it, will be what planners will deliver to us. Except they never manage to actually deliver Pleasantville. They deliver all sorts of other things.
0: So if the disparity between the promise and the outcome is uh stark, then why continue that process?
1: Yeah, that's uh this is I think the one of the core public choice questions that's come up over the years is when we see that we don't get the outcomes we want, why do we continue to do the same thing over and over again? And part of it is that they've never they've never just gotten it exactly right this is the same sort of thing we hear about uh why why hasn't socialism worked well they just haven't done it exactly right yet and if you listen to planners especially local planners there's always some tweak they want to make to the local planning rules something that went wrong in how they identified the zone or how they crafted it and if we just tweak it a little bit more we let someone with a little more expertise or we allow for more stakeholder input Next time we'll get it right and we'll be able to prevent this laundry list of terrible badness, which is often what's presented to people, that if you don't have zoning, if you don't allow planning to happen, you'll have the the, uh, sort of rednecks next door everywhere in the city and there will be terrible, terrible things that will come. And it's uh, a, a process of magnifying threats, a common political tactic.
0: I have rednecks next door. Uh, I am a redneck next door to some, probably some of my neighbors. So, uh, I'm
1: I'm often a redneck next door,
0: uh, given some of the places I've lived. Uh, and, uh, I chose to live there and buy a house there and I'm very happy with that. And, and, and giving basically everybody that option. I, I mean, it sounds good
1: to me. Uh, it sounds really good, except when there's the person that moves into the neighborhood, uh, and then decides they don't like what they've moved to. And uh, there's a great story from a planning um, listserv that I and some colleagues were on a few years ago that uh, I think illustrates this question pretty well. It was a question um, about apiaries, which are beehives in... In a city. So this is back in Utah. There was a lot of discussion about uh, trying to make uh, backyard beehives legal. and
0: we it is asked the beehive state. It is the
1: beehive state. You'd think this would be natural, uh, sort of a good fit. Uh, and so we were on this planning listserv, responding back and forth with some planners. And one of the questions that we asked was... Why not uh just let people make their own decision? Why not let them use their own property in the way that they want? And the response we got was this litany of all the potential dangers. And one that struck us pretty strongly from a a planner that was a friend of ours was that, well, you'll you're you would be all for that until the neighbor puts the apiary next to the fence by your pool. And it struck us as we listened to sort of we thought through his statement there was that in his mind, uh, it was the responsible of the planner to think through every possible b- bad outcome and then create a rule that would prevent that from happening. Uh, when we responded with, well, we might have a chat with our neighbor uh, about the apiary next to the fence in the pool. Uh, he's like, well, that's that doesn't always work out. And so we should have a rule now. These are folks that generally have good intentions, but good intentions, especially when you're going to plan for other people, are, sim- are just not enough to actually make things work out the way, uh, the way you expect.
0: And in that particular case, uh, the planner, just by virtue of going to rules first, is actively working to prevent you from cultivating the good character that might be required of you to have that honest, forthright chat with your neighbor about something that's bothering you. Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, I think that's exactly right, because there, we, we have gotten this perception through zoning and planning, especially at the local level, that the only solution to these conflicts that emerge between people, and that's really what planning is attempting to do, planning and zoning, is... Their claim is they're trying to minimize conflict between people. Conflict happens. I mean, you've had neighbors that are bad. Uh, there's a great story about a, a gay bar that wanted to open in Salt Lake City uh, next to some polygamists. Uh, those are two, two groups that uh, face any number of uh, discriminatory actions against them, but they were in opposition. There was clear conflict between the two, and the planner would have suggested that the only way to do that was to have a clear rule ahead of time about whether or not the, the gay bar was allowed in that zone. And yet there are other alternatives. There are things like civil society, which is what you just described. There's exchange, which is what Coase would have suggested, that if you don't like it, you can buy the rights to that gay bar, or buy the rights to your neighbor's property. Uh, or there's even private law, which is the law of torts, where if your neighbor places the apiary next to the fence by the pool, knows it's a risk and then you're harmed by it, you, can, you could use a tort system in order to actually make, um, make yourself whole from that situation. But we always revert to these uh, ex-ante solutions, before the fact, trying to prevent the harm from ever happening. And we end up living in a world that's mostly governed by the precautionary principle or the idea that somehow we're going to prevent all harm from before it ever is allowed to happen.
0: What happened Between the polygamists and owners of the gay bar.
1: Well, in that instance, uh, it it resolved itself because there was actually an ex. There was already a rule. There was an ex ante rule. Uh, The bar was allowed in the zone, but it didn't magically make the conflict go away. It was still the conflict was still there, Uh, and the question um, of who was right meant that in in the instant in case of the law, the bar could stay. But the conflict didn't go away simply because the rule existed beforehand. The conflict was going to continue.
0: Yeah, and it's possible for a clear rule to make everyone less happy.
1: Oh, that happens almost every time. So if you think about a homeowners association, which is uh, zoning sort of on steroids and enforced by a by a private organization, uh, almost always HOA rules. Uh, we We can list the sort of the laundry list of the rules they make that make everyone
0: less happy. In in small towns, without HOAs, the city council or the zoning commission effectively is the HOA.
1: Yeah. In the, as you get into smaller and smaller towns, they have both the time and the ability to actually go out and look and act much more like an HOA.
0: So uh, in talking with people who are critical of zoning broadly, it just seems like an impossible uh, problem where all the incentives are against Everyone who just wants to do what they want with their property or anyone who wants that for everyone. So are there any policy? I'm looking for that one weird trick that will allow people to use their property, however they want and get all that uh, economic dynamism off the sidelines and uh, get it working.
1: Yeah. there. Unfortunately, there is no magic bullet to this because I think you're exactly right about the incentives all lining up, uh, especially when zoning already exists. So if we had a time machine and we could go back to before Euclid, maybe uh, we could set down a different path. But there are a couple of practical things I think that can make zoning way less terrible. Uh, and the first of those is To think about zoning not as the solution to every problem, but as a framework that will let, uh, let people use their property as much as possible. So not, not solving the, the dispute between the, between my neighbor and I over bees, but instead ensuring that, uh, like uses are mixed, are put together. That's a that's one approach to zoning uh, that I think is better than what we currently have. In fact, it was the original approach. It was that residential is with residential, commercial uh, isn't mixed into industrial zones. Industrial zone isn't put next to a school. And so, getting back to some of that, uh, I think would be a, a stepwise improvement to where we currently are. But I don't see a way in which we end up back to use your property as you see fit uh, without a massive change in. Um, sort of the expectations that people have from government, because people expect that government is going to be the solution to all these sorts of things, and changing that requires a change in their understanding of what 's possible for government to do, even when they see it failing every single day
0: yeah, I think most people, even if they 're critical of residential zoning and giving local governments the power to veto projects uh on a whim or uh With consultation of someone who is not a not a property owner or not an adjacent property owner and that sort of thing, uh, they understand that there might be some value in separating, as you say, industrial uses from residential areas just by the nature of what goes on in those places. Um, But using rules in lieu of individual conflict mediation—that is, the rules are replacing nuisance uh dealing with nuisances. Yeah, and the, Act, actual nuisances.
1: Yeah, for real nuisances. Nuisance what we mean when we say nuisance under tort law. Yeah, and so what it ends up being is you create a situation in which the zones are drawn up and as long as you can meet the requirement of the zone you can move whatever nuisance, even properly understood nuisances, into that zone so long as you meet the regulatory rule. And so instead of having a flexible framework that allows for people to engage with the particulars of time and place and circumstance, you end up with a rule. And the rule, you either meet it or you don't. And if you meet it, you can put whatever you want there. If you don't meet it, you you can't put it there at all.
0: So for state lawmakers... There are some state lawmakers who listen to the Cater Daily podcast. What, what would you tell them? To be both
1: more active in looking at whether or not you have given too much ability to local governments uh, to make these sorts of decisions. Have, have you created a circumstance where they get to act like an HOA? Lots of state laws do this. And so state lawmakers could easily look at that as a place to change. And the second is to sit on your hands when you start to think that you want to engage in telling people how to use their property exactly. Because we hear the myth of uh, unzoned places in this country, particularly Texas, and yet state law still does lots of the same sort of things that zoning does. They just don't call it that.
0: So when you say uh, allowing local governments to Uh, behave in place of an HOA, uh, it might be useful to remind them HOAs are widely available. Uh,
1: They are. You can opt in and you can choose to contract into an HOA, and lots of people will probably choose to do so because it creates certainty. But it's a choice that people should be able to make as opposed to a legislative fiat that just decides one day that these are the new rules, even if you didn't choose affirmatively
0: to join. Ryan Yock is senior faculty at the American Institute for Economic Research. We spoke in June. Please give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.